Okay, so this is the second half of session eight, handling emotions well, and we're starting looking from page 66 in your manual, headed up, following feelings makes us vulnerable to attack. So the biblical principle, which I'm sure you're fed up of hearing now, but I'll say it again, is to believe the truth and to live by the truth and to believe the truth and let our feelings, in a sense, catch up. Jesus said this, Now you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You see, you don't feel your way into good behaviour, but rather you behave your way into good feelings. Um, immature Christians act kind of according to how they feel, rather than on what God says is true. And if that's you, if you react based simply on how you feel, completely uh, disregarding what God says is true, then let me tell you the bad news. And the bad news is this, the devil will have a field day with you. When the devil condemns and criticises you, you'll probably agree with him. Because there will probably be some elements of truth in what he says. The devil is cunning. And uh, uh, he is, uh, he, the best lie has some semblance of truth which has then been twisted around. So when you do do something wrong and the devil says, you're a miserable excuse for a Christian, you've let God down again, da, 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 you may well have done something wrong, but the devil will twist that. You always do things wrong, you always let God down. God doesn't want to know you. You'll probably say, oh yeah, that's me, I'm a miserable worm, and kind of disappear into your man cave if you're a man. I don't quite know where women disappear to. Do they have <laughs> women caves? I don't know, but that is where you will disappear into. So a failure to acknowledge our emotions and respond appropriately can allow the devil to get a massive foothold in our lives. And I think probably last session you may have looked at uh, the area of anger uh, in terms of one of, the, um, one of the things that they were talking about last week. I think that's right, Tim, is it? One of the illustrations that they were giving was about anger. And I think anger, for example, if we don't control the emotion of anger, can give the devil a massive foothold in our lives. The truth is that you can't actually, in the moment, directly control or stop your feelings of anger. Uh, if something makes you angry, then it makes you angry in that moment. But what we can do is control our actions and in those feelings of anger, what we can do is choose what we do and what we don't do. It's why the Bible says in Ephesians 4 verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. It doesn't say that anger, in a sense, feelings of anger in and of themselves are a sin. You can't actually control those feelings. You may want to address why they are there, but once they are there, you can't actually not feel them. You can't go back in time and unfeel angry. But what you can do is to control yourself from that moment and not sin in your anger. 
But unfortunately, people do sin in their anger, and unfortunately, people do tend to hold on to anger and dwell on it. And unfortunately, that leads to bitterness, that leads to unforgiveness, and that gives the devil a massive foothold in our lives. If anger is one of the big ones, uh, the, the other big one must be anxiety or worry. If we don't handle anxiety and worry, it can cause us all kinds of problems. For many Christians, a favourite verse is 1 Peter 5 verse 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. There's various songs, I see little stickers about it. Cast all your anxieties onto Jesus, there's probably a kiddie song with actions somehow. Uh, Christians just love that verse. But did you know that in that passage there is another well-known verse which says this, be self-controlled and alert your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking to devour someone. Now I suspect that many of you knew those two verses, but did you know they come from the same passage? And did you know that one actually follows directly on from the other? In fact, they're actually part of the same idea. Peter is warning us that if we let anxiety and worry get a grip on us, we are opening ourselves up to the devil who's like a roaring lion who wants to devour us. So cast your cares onto Jesus is not some kind of nice, oh yes, cast all your cares onto Jesus, la la la. Cast your cares onto Jesus because if you don't and you worry about them and you don't handle that well, the devil will come up and eat you like a roaring lion. There's more punch to it than cast your cares onto Jesus. Oh, I'm so worried I didn't have the butter and I cast it onto Jesus. It was all fantastic. It's much more hard-hitting than that. If you don't deal with your worries and your anxieties, you may be opening a door for the devil to come in. And if he comes in, he will be like a roaring lion. He will leave you mangled if he can. Satan is prowling around looking for a, to get a foothold in our lives. And that foothold will often be not handling an emotion well. Ang anger is one of them. Anxiety could be another, but obviously there could be another. So learning to handle emotions well. As I say, the best way to think of our emotions, another illustration, is that our emotions are actually like the red warning light that you might have on the dashboard of your car. There is often these days a warning light on your car to warn you of serious or potential serious problems under the bonnet. And even though you might keep on driving for a short while, if you don't fix the problem, then you might be in trouble soon. Have I told you my story about my dad and his BMW? I can't remember whether I had. My, my dad one day said to me, uh, I'm going to buy a new car. What are you going to buy, Dad? I'm going to buy a BMW. I said, oh, right, new. He said, no, no, you know, second-hand, three owners, 40,000 miles, you know, killed the depreciation. That's my dad. So when I saw him next time, Dad, how's the car? Great, he said, great, fantastic, BMW. All oh, right, BMW, Dad, is it right? You're pleased about the BMW? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, what's the, oh, it drives well, it's fantastic. He said, I'll tell you what, he said, so clever, this car. He said, it's got a light on the dashboard that tells you if there's something wrong. It comes up, and uh, he said, take it down to the garage, and they plug it in the computer, tell you what's wrong. So I saw him the next time, I said, how's the BMW? Brilliant, he said, can't believe it, the red light came on the dashboard. 
He said, I took it down to the garage down the road. He said, they opened up the bonnet, they plugged it into the computer. The computer said that something had gone wrong. They had the part, they changed it. He said it was done. He said, it's the future of motoring. This was about 20 years ago, you know. He said, it's just fantastic. So next time I see him, I'll, you know, how's the BMW, Dad? Oh, yeah, he said, yeah, 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 it's great. He said, that light went off again. He said, uh, he said, and I went down and uh, he said, oh, those BMW garages, they're expensive, aren't they? <laughs> so uh, he said, he plugged it in, he said, a rear thing gone wrong, he said he replaced it. Anyway, he said, what are you going to do? Got to look after it, you know, 450 quid. Great. Next time I see him, how's a BMW, Dad? No, don't talk to me about the stupid BMW. <laughs> he said, if that light goes off one more time, he said, I'm driving down the road. He said, the light went off. I thought, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm not going to do anything. He said, but then I didn't know what it was. Your mother told me I had to go down. You can just picture it. Oh, your mother said, I've got to go down. So he'd gone there. Something else had gone wrong. Within the year, he'd sold the car. <laughs> and he sold it. When he sold it, I said, he said, that's it. He said, I'll tell you why. He said, because I keep driving. He said, and I find myself staring at the red light, <laughs> waiting for it to come on. <laughs> that's my dad and his BMW. But when the warning light on your dashboard comes on, there's basically three ways that you can react if you have a car like the one that my dad did. A, suppression. Right? You can take a piece of tape and you can just cover the light. Suppress it. I don't want to see it. The second way that you can react is indiscriminate expression. In your anger, you take out a hammer and smash the front of the light out, smash the dashboard. Or the third one, I suppose, is what my dad did and didn't want to do, or didn't want to keep doing, which is why he now drives a Skoda, is that you acknowledge that the light is on, so let's look under the bonnet and fix the thing. Let's just think about those three ways. So the first way is suppression. You cover it up. When we consciously ignore our feelings, or we choose not to deal with them, then we are suppressing them. But the problem with that approach is that it's both unhealthy, and it's dishonest, and it will actually come back to bite us worse. David gives us a good example of this in Psalm 32. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Let everyone who is godly pray while he may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. David isn't saying God is unreachable, but he's saying when we allow circumstances to loom larger than God, we kind of become emotionally overcome. And when suppressed emotions kind of build up within us like mighty waters, the truth is that we'll be less likely to turn to God and actually end up being driven by our emotions. It's so important that we're honest before God of how we're feeling because if we bottle up our emotions, they don't just disappear. By suppressing how we're feeling and trying to cover it up and ignore it, it's not really happening. We think that we can carry on and live normally. The reality is that they won't disappear they will end up dominating our lives. And the truth is, much of our spiritual life just kind of wastes away. They reckon that emotional suppression may be one of the major reasons why people suffer from psychosomatic ailments. David said in another psalm that when he kept quiet to God about his sin, his strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. See, the truth is this, that feelings 
don't die when we bury them. When we suppress how we're feeling, we think that we've buried the thing dead. The problem is that we bury them alive, and because they're alive, all they end up doing is moving along and then surfacing somewhere else in some other way, unhealthily, in our life. The picture they give on Freedom in Christ is that it's like trying to bury a mole that's not dead. You have a mole in your garden and you decide, I'm going to bury the mole. The problem is the mole just goes along and comes up again. And then you bury him again and he goes along and comes up again. And suppressing our emotions before an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God is both irrational and unhealthy and can wreck our walk with God and can wreck our relationships with other people. Because just like those moles moving along and coming up and wrecking your lovely lawn, that undealt with emotion will simply come up in another area of your life or with another relationship and cause a whole other load of wreckage. You cannot suppress or cover up your emotions and think that they are buried dead. They are not. They are buried very much alive and will cause you problems in the future. So I don't recommend suppression. The second way that you can act is indiscriminate expression. In other words, you just explode. It's very unhealthy to just explode, to just express every time how you're feeling. That is like picking up a hammer and just smashing the, your car because the dashboard light comes on. And one big problem for indiscriminate expression is that it won't be healthy for us, but it definitely won't be healthy for those who are around us. That the whole thing of exploding, it might temporarily make us feel better. You have that expression, well, I'm glad I got that off my chest. But the problem is, if you got it off your chest, whose chest is it now on? If you have now got it off you, who have you, who have you? I always think about it like this. It's like being sick over everybody else. You have just exploded all your undealt with emotion and now you have just passed it on to your wife, to your husband, to your kids, to your work colleagues, to your church brothers and sisters. That is what has happened with it. My time in the police has kind of showed me, if it didn't show me anything, it showed me this. That actually when people just don't deal with their feelings and then they just explode, a lot of the problems come from the things that they do and the things that they say whilst they are exploding. You know, someone bumps into their car and they end up smashing them in the face and getting four years in prison for GBH. It was only a bumper. How many times have I, if I've exploded with my wife and, and, and got into an argument, how often are really the things that we've said that's been most hurtful were not about the original incident, which could have been stupid, but then in your anger you've gone and opened your mouth and said something, which has caused far more damage than the fact that you only put half a sugar in instead of one sugar, <laughs> or whatever it may be. So I just want to say to you, indiscriminate expressing, exploding, just causes more damage. And the reality is this, there is still an unresolved negative feeling inside of you that is going to cause you to explode again. People thought I got it off my chest. No, you didn't. You're actually just like a, a volcano. You've just had an eruption. It's still there. There will be another one, 
because you've got an unresolved feeling, or an unresolved issue you haven't dealt with. So the third way and the way that the Bible recommends us to handle our emotions is acknowledgement, that we are honest. So when the red light comes on, what should we do when we feel angry, depressed, anxious? The healthy response is to be honest and to acknowledge it. Just have a listen to how David, King David, a man after God's own heart, feels about somebody else. This is what David says in Psalm 109. He's talking to God, but praying about somebody else. He says, God, appoint an evil man to oppose him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he's tried, let him be found guilty. And may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his, father be, may his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labour. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. May their sins always remain before the Lord, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. I wonder whether you think a prayer like that should be part of God's perfect word. But I wonder whether you've ever felt like that about someone. Is it right for us to pray like that about someone else? Now, of course, the thing is, God knows that this is how David was feeling. He's not shocked. He's not unaware that feelings like this, as strong as this, go on in our heart. But in all circumstances, we should be honest before God. God here is not teaching us a model of how to pray. He's showing us that actually we should be absolutely honest before him. If we're going to explode anywhere, it should be an explosion before God being honest with how we're really feeling. God can handle, can speak into uh, that kind of emotional outburst and prayer that David prayed. This is not a model for prayer. God didn't let this in his word because he's saying pray like this. It's because he, he, he wants us to understand that he can handle our emotional outbursts. So, and if you read on through that psalm, what you find is that once David has actually poured his heart out honestly before God through the pain and how he's feeling, that actually David himself is able to return to a place of peace and a place of praise. Just, But we must be honest before God. Jesus had that kind of honesty. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. He cried at his friend Lazarus's grave. In Gethsemane, he cried out to God that his soul was overwhelmed to the point of death. If Jesus needed to pour out his heart sometimes to God about what was going on in his heart, then how much more do we need to? Someone once said that you can't be right with God without being real with him. And if necessary, God may make you real in order that you might be right with him. Acknowledgement. Be honest before God. I just wonder if we can just finish by looking at page 67. Because there is a fascinating uh, little ABC boxes there that I think might help you just to 
just to earth this and to grasp it. I know it's very small in your, in your book, but let me just read from halfway down. We can approach issues in our lives focusing either on truth or on feelings. If we start with the truth in God's word and choose to believe it, it will work out in our behaviour and ultimately into our feelings. But if we start with feelings, we'll be led to a very different conclusion. So what they've done is they've listed there A, B and C, three different situations. So A, when I face a real challenge, I can see it either as a chance to trust God and grow or as too much to handle. I'm sure we've all kind of faced that. We have a challenge, here's a real challenge. Do we see it as an opportunity to grow or do we take that it's too much to handle? If you look at the truth orientated, if you like the top to bottom approach, you'll see there, let's just try and make sure everyone can follow me. If we have a truth orientated approach, then the truth is this, God will never leave me on my own. The belief from that will be, God won't put me through more than I can bear. I can trust him to help me. So the behaviour will be a positive approach to the challenge, whatever it is. And our feelings will be confident that God will help me. If you now go, now, now go down to the box below, which says feelings orientated, exactly the same challenge facing you, but if you are going to be controlled by your feelings... Your feeling will probably be that you're overwhelmed by the demands, exhaustion, I can't cope, depression. Your behaviour is dip out, run away, disappear into your manhole, whatever. Because the belief is this, I'm helpless. This challenge is too big for me and I've got no one to help me. I am helpless. Your view of reality, therefore, is I am a peren perennial failure. Have a look at number B. When people seem called towards me, I can either trust God for favour or feel uncertain how to act around them. So again, let's just look down. Truth orientated on B. If God is for me, who can be against me? That's the truth. So your belief is, I'm going to trust God in this relationship. Behaviour. I will overlook slights and be affirming of others. Secure enough that you don't have to jump Every time you think somebody may have slighted you or ignored you or whatever. So your feeling is this, confident that God will give you favour as you need it. Now go down the bottom to B. Feelings orientated. The, your feeling will be, I feel unwanted, rejected. Your behaviour will be, react at the first sign of slight, real or imagined, or back off from people. Do you know, I have people in church sometimes, and this has only come out often afterwards, who have said to me, do you know what, you know, six months ago uh, I saw you and you ignored me. I say, when? You were in Oxted. Where, were, where was I? You were across the other side of the road, 300 <laughs> yards up the road. I never saw you, I said. <laughs> so this is true, really. And you realise, no, there is an emotional thing going on in you that means that actually if you think that I have ignored you, that's how you, you feel, that's how you behave. The belief is this, I'm unlovable and people hate me. And your view of reality is this, as people don't want to be around me, I resent and criticise them and become grumpy and irritable. Last one. When I face financial pressure, I can either see it as an opportunity to grow in faith and prove God's faithfulness or 
feel anxious. So there you go, faced with a financial difficulty, which way are you gonna go? The truth-orientated way, starting with the truth under C, I have been giving faithfully according to my means and God has promised to meet my need. So there you go, I've been giving, as God says, giving my first fruit, been tithing, and I believe that God says, therefore, he's going to meet my need. Belief will be, I'm expecting him to do so. Our behaviour, approach expectantly and do what I can to increase income and reduce expenditure. So, okay, I'm giving, but I'm still going to make sure that I'm not wasting my money or I can earn a bit more money than I will do. Feeling will be peace and confidence. I'm doing what I can, I'm doing what's right. God will come through for me. That's a good place to be. Look at the bottom one. If you approach it from your feelings, you'll be anxious about money, worried about money. Your behaviour will be this, striving to get money or stinginess. I've got to earn more, or I've got to hold on to the little that I've got because I don't know where the next lot's coming from. Your belief is this, it's all down to me to make money. God is not Jehovah Jireh, uh, he's not my provider, it's all down to me to make money, that's what you really believe. And so your view of reality is this, I can't make it happen, then I'll get angry. If you do make it happen, you'll get pr proud. I think those things are fascinating to see them through and to actually see that in exactly the same situation and circumstance, if you begin with truth where your feelings end up, and if you start with feelings where you, it ends up shaping your whole view of reality in a faulty way. So if I was gonna give you any homework this week, it would be to actually just look through those and get those in your head and just understand that those are just three examples but it works in that sense. I suppose for me, that really irks this whole thing that we've been saying about believing truth, letting truth affect what we believe, let that affect how we behave, and let our feelings kind of follow at the end. Let me pray for us, then we'll go home. Father, I just want to thank you for...